Well, we just had an amazing Easter, and we love to, you know, talk about the resurrection, but the resurrection is really, you know, is the foundation. It's the, it's the, what we believe. It's the anchor of our faith. It's, we don't gather, we don't have a faith without the resurrection, and, and so we want to just continue. If you, you know, maybe you were able to get some family and friends to come, you know, last Sunday, but that's great, and I'm, man, we were excited um, for that, and, and uh, we, we had the biggest Sunday I've ever seen here in the building, which was pretty amazing, but uh, we want to give you an opportunity to still continue to invite. That's the mindset for us around here is just invite, 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 um, because that was the mindset for the disciples. Uh, that was the mindset for Jesus is, is just for people to come and see, come and see, come and experience you know, G- Jesus himself and come experience the body of Christ. And, and believing that the working of, work of God is, is, is real and effective and the workings of God is, is powerful and the workings of God changes hearts and lives. We believe that, right, church? We believe that, that, that God changes hearts and changes lives. And so um, we want to just encourage you to keep doing that. So for the next uh, number of weeks, um, we are going to be talking about that, you know, the time that Jesus spent uh, on earth uh, after he resurrected. And that's usually a question that people ask me is, okay, so after he resurrected, then what happened? You know, we're like, you know, where, where did, what, what happened? And so uh, it's not a, maybe you're wondering that too. Maybe you've thought that too. Like usually it's like we talk about the resurrection and then it's over. And, you know, we talk about the church and what the, you know, but that Jesus spent 40 days. Jesus, after he resurrected, he spent uh, 40 days. And how, how do we know that? Well, Luke wrote that. Luke wrote in Acts uh, chapter 1, and, and uh, he, he wrote, obviously, he wrote the gospel, Luke, but he also wrote, uh, you know, Acts, and it says this. It says, the first account I composed, so what was the first account? His gospel, Luke's, what his writing. He said he was writing to this guy named Theophilus, which is, there's a couple different theories on Theophilus, uh, you know, that he was a, a, you know, a Roman official, a high up a Roman official based on, you know, the way that Luke describes him in, the, in, his, in his writings of, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, that he was a high up Roman official. Others say that this was a maybe a code, you know, this name Theophilus was code for a group of believers because the, uh, Theophilus means friends of God, friend of God, or, or loved by God, but, it, but it, it's closely described as a friend of God. So, so this is a, either a person, which I believe it is, it's, a, it's an actual person, or it's a collection of people that, that Luke in code wrote that he was a friend, you know, friends of God. And so hopefully, you know, the goal is, is that you become and are a friend of God. That's the, that's the goal, right? As a Christian, I, I want you and I want to be a, have a better relationship with Jesus. And I, and I want you and I, I want for myself to have a, a, a friendship or a relationship with Jesus that is, that is life-changing. And so he's writing this. He says, I first you know, account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so he wrote his, his gospel, verse two. It says, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had, whom he had chosen, and then it says in verse, verse three, to these he also presented himself alive. And so he spent, you know, some time. He said, he, he goes to those who, you know, his apostles and to many others. And, and if you were here last week, you know, Paul wrote that he, he appeared to over 500 people all at one time. And he says that he's just, his goal was to present himself alive after, he, after his suffering by many convincing proofs 
So he, this is not, you know, just sort of a feeling or this is not just something that we sort of pull out of the air and why we believe in a, in a resurrected Jesus. No, no, there's convincing proof. You know, and if you've been with us over the last few weeks, I've been trying to give you some convincing proof. You know, that, that our faith and our trust in Jesus and the why we, why we call ourselves Christians is not because, you know, this is the religion that fits best for me. We call ourselves Christians. We're followers of Jesus because it's true. Because it's true. People gave their lives, not because you know, it, it rewarded them, not because it made their quality of life better. People gave their lives because of what they knew was true. And so we have convincing proof, and Jesus gave convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of, there it is, 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So he spent 40 days. Now, you can do, we can do some pretty effective things over a period of 40 days. I don't know if you've tried that, but we, you and I can really begin to you know, modify our behavior if you wanted over a period of 40 days. Man, if you were dedicated to something over a period of 40 days, you could really break a bad habit. Anybody ever try that before? You could really break a bad habit. I don't want to point anybody out, but does anybody have a background of, of participating in Lent? Anybody have a part, you know, participate in Lent, have a background of that? And I, you know, you need to raise your hand, but you know, you, some people, you know, participated in Lent and what do they do? They, over a 40 day period, you give up something for the Lord, right? You give up something, you give up, you know, this or that. And, you know, you, you know, and, and I've, I've made a mistake of asking people, you know, what did you give up for Lent? And they're like, I don't want to tell you, you know, and uh, it's none of your business, pastor. Um, it's between me and God and I won't ask anybody to do that but you can and I can do something effective you can break a habit you can establish better habits you can establish better routines and it's sort of an external thing to modify a behavior it's an external thing to modify behavior it's not a bad thing it's a good thing and if you I would encourage you to take 40 days of, of your life and to, to say you know what I'm I want to you know take 40 days of my life and I want to establish better habits I'm going to take 40 days of my life and I'm going to establish better routines. I'm going to, you know, you can read a you know, book in 40 days, you know. You can, you can you, know, ch- you know, change a diet you know, habits in 40 days, you know. Exercise routines in 40 days. And it will make a difference, right? You agree? It will make a difference. Well, Jesus spent 40 days doing the exact same thing. Now, Jesus did, what he did is he spent 40 days externally Showing himself, externally showing himself, and you know what happened over those 40-day periods? It, it changed behavior. It changed behavior. It changed the way that they saw life, the, you know, the, those that saw him. It changed the way that they viewed death. It changed the way that they went about and carried their, represented themselves to their friends and their family. I mean, it radically changed everything. I mean, Jews, which was the primary people in which, you know, which was see, saw Jesus alive, Jews, they radically changed their behavior. They were going for, 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 for since they were children, and, they, and, their, and their parents did it, and their grandparents did it, and their great-grandparents did it, for centuries, for centuries, they were going and worshiping on Saturday. 
Like Saturday was when the time that they gathered together. Then, all of a sudden, they see Jesus alive within that 40-day period. And then they, saw, they thought to themselves, well, he, he resurrected on the first day of the week. So maybe we should gather on the first day of the week. They radically changed overnight. Overnight. They went from worshiping on Saturdays to now worshiping on Sundays. They no longer, they used to have to go, when they worship, they used to have to offer sacrifices. How messy was church at that time, right? You know, they would have to offer sacrifices. They would have to bring their lamb, you know, to the, to the priest, you know, and the priest would slaughter. Boy, I am so glad that I wasn't a priest back then, man. I am too germaphobic to, to handle all that. So, you know, they would bring their, you know, their animal, you know, the sacrifice, because that's what they were required to do, but they stopped doing that. They stopped doing that all together. They're like, you, you're not bringing your animal? You're like, I don't need to do that. Do you remember Jesus hung on a cross? He was the one final sacrifice for it all. He finished it all on a cross for me, and I no longer have to bring my animal because he was the one, the worthy lamb that was slain for my sins, and he finished that work for me. Isn't that good news for us, church, right? We get to now come and sing some songs instead of you bringing your lamb on your shoulder. Praise Jesus for that, right? I mean, isn't it radically changed? It radically changed. This can happen for you. This can happen for you. That you can, you can. I hope that over the next few weeks, and I'm not going to challenge anybody to, you know, okay, from now on, for the next 40 days, listen, some of you participated in Lent, you're like, not again, not again. You know, I don't want to have to give up pop again for 40 days. You know, it's so hard. You know, and I, you know, so this is something that radically changed them, radically changed them. So that's what we're going to be talking about for. 40 days, what did it do for them? And I hope it does it for you. But more importantly, I hope it does something for somebody that you invite for you to come and say, I want you to experience this because Jesus didn't just resurrect and then go to heaven. He spent 40 days externally, externally showing himself and proving, proving, proving to the people that saw him that he's alive, that he's alive. And what's radically different of our faith than any other faith, the differences of any other faith is this, that we put our faith and our trust and our belief in a risen Savior, that our God is not dead. He's surely alive. He's alive. So he appears to, and we're going to pick it up here, to a woman named Mary. We're going to start here in Mark 16, Mark's account. Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now, I have no experience with this whatsoever, but this is a, something that actually happened to Mary Magdalene. She had seven demons. I, I can't even understand or even relate to that kind of, you know, suffering and agony and, the, and what, she, what she felt, you know, at that time. But something happened to where when she met Jesus, he, he literally, and I know, I know, it, it sound, it's, it, we don't, it's weird to talk about these things, but he removed these demons. He took these demons away from her. He removed them from her life. And, and so he, she was like, Man, if you can do this for me, Jesus, I'm walking with you. you. She had seven demons in her life, and she said, man, Jesus just cast them out. Jesus you know, took them away, and they scattered, they ran. Which, by the way, just as a 
just as a side note, demons are real and demons really were scared of Jesus. They were terrified of Jesus. If you read the, any of the accounts of the gospels, here's what you, we know. Demons had a better understanding of who Jesus was than we do sometimes. I know this sounds hard to understand, but they did. They were, when they, when Jesus cast them out, when he cast them out, they were terrified of him. They were, you are, I know who you are, I know who you are. You are God's son. You are God, you know, incarnate. You are God with a bod, and we are terrified of you. Do not, and they would literally go, do not harm us. Do not hurt us. And he would just cast them out, you know. And, and you know, this, was, this was what happened to Mary. And she was like, she experienced Jesus and Jesus changed and radically changed her life. And so she spent some time. So this was the first person within the first day that Jesus spent on earth of 40 days that he spent, you know, with them. He, this was the first person that he appeared to. So now we're going to pick it up. This is sort of her, you know, her backstory a little bit. John 20, and so when Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped in and looked into the tomb. Verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. Verse 13, and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Well, she's like devastated. She's you know, in agony, she's, you know, weeping. She's not just, it doesn't just describe, you know, she felt, you know, emotional and just sort of tearing up. No, no, she was like wailing. She was weeping because they had taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they, she doesn't even really know what happened. She just says they, you know, they, where they laid him, verse 14. But when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus, verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Like again, he's, Jesus is, the angels asked her, why are you weeping? Jesus is now asking her, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Now, you got to imagine what's going on in Mary's mind. Here she just sees, she's, she sees her Savior, her Lord, has now been crucified. She, she saw him, as a matter of fact, as some of the gospel writers tell us, that she was watched, she watched where, you know, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus prepared the body and laid the body. And she is just in agony over this because she's probably thinking to herself, what if I now have to go back to my old life? She's probably thinking to herself, what's going to happen to me now? Are the demons, are they going to come back? Are the demons going to come back? Am I going to have to like, now that Jesus is absent, am I going to have to now like go and, and try to figure out how to cope with life with this in me? Am I going to have to go back and figure out how to deal with life? You know? And she's probably weeping, thinking about what she now has to do alone. What she now has to try to figure out on her own. And she had legitimate concerns, don't you think? She had legitimate concerns. Now, we have legitimate concerns in life, don't we? 
We have issues in our life. Now, I can't even imagine any scenario that you, are, you face or I face when you compare it to you know, these demons. But can you imagine, but you know what you deal with in your life. You know what your concerns are in your life. You know that the struggles and the battles that you have in your life. You understand what it means, you know, to have worry. You understand what it means to feel that weight of anxiety. You understand what it, me- what it feels like when you-, when you deal with the things of guilt or shame. You know, you understand the things that it deals like when-, when you think about, you know, your own circumstances and how you're going to be able to work through that yourself. This is what Mary felt. She felt that anxiety. She felt that worry. She felt that, you know, sense of I'm alone and nobody cares. She felt that sense of, man, I don't know. I just don't know if I can, you know, continue on in my life, you know, and and, and what's going to happen to me and how I'm going to be able to cope and how I'm going to be able to deal with that. Can anybody else relate to that? We all can. And this is what she's thinking. This is why she's weeping. He's gone. And what is she going to do? She had legitimate concerns. So do you. So do you. And Jesus asked the best question. He asked the best question. Jesus said to her, Mary, then look what he says in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, Rabbani, which means teacher, teacher. So she turned away, and then Jesus said to, said to her, stop clinging to me, which is her way of going, you're here, you know? Like, you're here, and she just probably started grabbing a hold of Jesus, you know? I'm not going to let you go, Jesus. You're not going to leave me again, because I'm not going back to that life. Jesus, I, you're not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to leave you, let you out of my sight, because I'm not going to be worried. I'm not, I don't want to have that worry and that concern and that anxiety anymore. I'm going to just cling on to you. And Jesus says to her, for me, I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Now, here's the main idea for today, okay? Here's the main idea. And here's what Mary understood, okay? Here it is. He's standing with you in your concerns. That's the big idea for today. Whatever your concerns are, Whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is that, that you know, lays bur- heavy burden on your heart, maybe it's like you're a health issue, maybe it's a you know, pr- provision issue, maybe it's a financial issue, maybe it's a relationship issue. Whatever your concerns might be, whatever you feel like, if it's like a job security issue or whatever your concerns are, whatever it is that's weighing heavy on your life today, Here's what Jesus wants you to understand, and here's what Mary understood in the midst of her concerns, is that he's standing with you. He's standing with you. You're not alone. Whatever's weighing heavy on you and whatever occupies your thought life and whatever's causing you to lose sleep at night, I just want you to know this. More importantly, God wants you to know this within the first appearance after he resurrected. He's standing with you. You're not alone. 
And Jesus asked this question. Let's go back to verse 15. Look what he says. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Who are you, whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Like, what is it that you're seeking? What is it that you want? What is it you are hoping to, you know, to free yourselves from life's worries, and that's not a bad thing to want? Are you hoping to try to find comfort in this life, and that's all good to have? But Jesus said, listen, I want you to understand something. I want you to seek something of greater value. I want you to seek something that has greater eternal worth to it. I want you to pursue and I want you to see and I want you to seek after something that can help you in the long term, that can be a permanent solution for you. Because here's what we often do. We often try to handle the situations on our own. We often try to take matters into our own hands. We often try to deal with it ourselves. We often try to find, you know, these quick fixes. We often try to find these band-aids that we put over it. And simply, it's only temporary, isn't it? Even when you've tried a 40-day fasting or giving up of something or trying to change a habit, oftentimes it's challenging, isn't it? You go back to the old habits. You go back to the old routines. But Jesus has something that he wants you to seek that is something permanent. It's permanent. And he says, I want you to stop seeking the things that are temporary. I want you to stop looking at the thing that is only going to be a quick fix and put a band-aid over a bigger problem. I want you to seek something better than that. So the question is for you and for me, whom are you seeking? Are you seeking after your own self for your own fix? Are you looking to yourself to think that you can change your behavior, that you can change the things that are you know, causing you to worry and have anxiety at night? Because listen, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I fail at that. Anytime I try to take matters into my own hands, I fail miserably. I fall flat on my face. Anytime I think that I can control a situation, anybody else in here? I'm just like, I'm okay, come on, help me out, people. Like, I'm alone up here. I'm standing here confessing myself, and you guys are just like, come on. Like, anybody else in here? I try to fix it myself, and I fail. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I feel so much better. Woo! Okay. All right, I thought I was alone. You're like, what are you, why are you the preacher? Like, who tries to seek things for themselves? Like, this is the, and, and, and nobody does this. Nobody does this like I do. You find somebody else. Fic, you fix me. You, you turn to your spouse and you, you, need to, you need to be better for me. Maybe you're alone. Maybe it's just me. But I'm like, you, you know, and then so that's a lot of weight to put on your significant other, by the way. That's a lot of weight to put on them. I'm telling you, I mean, you know, I've, you've heard me say this before. You and I, you and I, we make for terrible gods. We're terrible. Like if, if you're, you think that your spouse is your savior, if you think your spouse is going to fulfill you, if you think that your kids, you know who makes worse gods than, than spouses? Kids. Kids are terrible gods. They're terrible. Don't, don't, 
think that your kids are going to, you know, you vicariously live through your kids, you know, and then they let you down and you're disappointed and you're angry and you're, you know, listen, listen, listen. They make for terrible gods. And Jesus said to Mary, listen, Mary, who are you seeking? Are you looking to yourself to try to fix your concerns? Mary, are you going to try to go find something or someone else? Are you going to go and seek something or someone else to deal with your worries? And Jesus said to her, who, whom, whom are you seeking? I believe, this is just me and maybe I hope you see it today, but I believe that Jesus showed himself to her in the forms of three different types of people. Okay? I believe that he showed himself to her and, and he wanted her to see in the form of three different types of who he is, who Jesus is, that says, I want you to understand that you, when you seek after me, when you seek after me, Jesus would say, that that's a permanent fix. That's a permanent fix. And so I think that Jesus said, showed her, look at, go back to verse 15 if you could, Neva, for me. Verse 15. He says, why are you weaving, woman? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, I think, I think that, that she wasn't too far off. Because I think that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. And I think that he wants you to seek when it comes to the gardener. The gardener. You say, what does that mean, the gardener? Well, here's what I, here's what I mean by that. Now, when Adam and Eve were made, they were assigned to what? The Garden of Eden, right? They were, they were and then and what, did, what did God's command to Adam and Eve? Take care of this, take, you know, take care of this. You know what they became? Gardeners. They became gardeners. But you know what they, they did? They failed miserably at their job, didn't they? They failed miserably. And what happened was is that it became a wasteland of sin. Sin entered the world. They failed at their job. Sin entered the world. But here's, here's the good news. The, the, the scripture says that there's a second Adam, and his name is Jesus. There's a second Adam that came. And the second Adam, I don't, and I don't even think it's a coincidence that when Jesus was buried and put into a tomb, that it was in a garden. And so when Mary came to the tomb, she was, came to you know, prepare the body because the men did the work and they thought, women thought, I can, we can probably do better than that. And so when they came to the tomb, they were in the garden. So when she heard somebody talking, she's thinking it's the gardener. And she was right. It was the gardener. And the gardener is Jesus. And the gardener, what happened was this. And Jesus describes it this way in John 12. Here's what Jesus said. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, what happens? It bears much fruit. So what Jesus did was this. Jesus said, listen, the seed, I'm going to become the seed. I'm going to become the grain and I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried but, the, but what, what's going to happen is this. But what's going to come up out of the ground, and here's what we know, all of us, if you've done a little bit of gardening, here's what we know, that when you sow something into the ground, 
that whatever you sowed into the ground, it's going to come up and it's going to produce its fruit. It's going to produce whatever it is that you sowed into the ground. And so Jesus said, listen, you know what happened? Jesus said, the gardener died, was buried, and rose so that you can reap the harvest of the resurrection. So he sowed, the Savior sowed so that you can reap the resurrection. The Savior sowed so that you can reap the resurrection. And that because he came, because he came up out of the ground, that that produced for you and for me much, much fruit. And the gardener is, is Jesus. And you know what a gardener does? Here's what a gardener does. And if you are into gardening, I'm not into gardening. When we bought our house, we had this, this person that owned the house before us had flowers everywhere. I mean, every week something new was sprouting up. Like every week. And I'm like, I'm not, and I told my wife, I go, I'm not mature enough to handle this. It was just too much work. So I, I, I'm like, I try to dig it all out. I know it was all beautiful and pretty, but I just, I couldn't keep it up. I wouldn't be able to keep it up. So I just dug it all up and try to put, you know, uh, you know uh, seed down and grow grass, you know. But you know, to this day, four years later to this day, flowers still come up out of the ground. Like, I'm, like, this person was amazing at gardening. Like, they, I mean, even, I mean, I'm talking about, I got on my hands and knees, and I'm digging up the ground. I'm pulling everything that I can up out of the ground that I can't, and still to this day, it's still producing flowers. And I'm like, how did I miss that seed? How did I miss that seed? But you know what the gardener is willing to do? The gardener is willing to get into his, on his hands and knees and get his hands dirty, isn't it? And Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty. Jesus was willing to get in the mix of your life and mine and to get his hands in your mess and in my mess. And what he wants to do, if you let him, and if you, you, you got to let him, you got to let him do it. What he wants to do in your life is that he wants to produce something in and through you that you and I couldn't do on our own. That what he wants to do in your heart and what he wants to do for your life and the way that you carry yourself from here on out, he wants to sow himself into your heart so that you will reap something that is fruitful, that you will reap something that is beneficial, that you will reap something that is life-changing. He's the gardener. You know what else a gardener has to do? A gardener has to like use fertilizer to help something grow better. Ooh, this is where it gets sticky for us. That sometimes the gardener has to use the crud or the crap. Can I say that? In your life. Send me an email. I don't care. But sometimes God has to use the crud in your life and allow that to help grow things in your life. Oh. But it's better, isn't it? As a gardener, it's better, right? It helps it, it helps it produces something more fruitful. So sometimes you gotta use the fertilizer in order for something to grow better. You know what else a gardener has to do? It only gets, 
it only gets harder from here. You know what else the gardener has to do? The gardener sometimes has to prune something in order for it to grow and produce greater fruit. Sometimes the gardener has to cut things away. Oh, this is where for us, like, come on. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's for your good. It's for your good. It's for you to produce something great in your life. It's for you to produce something more permanent in your life. That sometimes in your life that things grow up and things get, get in the way and the gardener has to come in and cut it out. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard. You can say, okay, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard when God steps in and sometimes he uses the fertilizer to help it grow. And it's certainly hard when God steps in and has to use, you know, ways and things to cut out of your life in order for you to produce. And you're like, I don't want to give those up. I don't want to cut that out. I don't want to stop doing that. I don't want to let go of that habit. I don't want to have, and God's going, listen, it's not even a habit anymore. It's it's something that controls you now and, and it needs to be cut out of your life. And that hurts. It hurts. But the gardener just wants you to produce fruit. The gardener just wants you to be the most beautiful thing that he's made you to be. The gardener created you and got his hands dirty for you so that you can produce something in your life that will change you forever. He's the gardener. Not only is he the gardener, but he's also, look at what it says in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary! And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbi, which means teacher. You know what else will change you? Is that when he, you allow him to be the teacher. You allow him to be the teacher, not someone else, not something else. Because, you know, there's a lot of other teachers in our culture, isn't there? A lot of other teachers. Our culture is, you know, filled with teachers, filled with you. You watch them on television. You watch them, you know, in movies. You, you see them. You're inundated with them every day. You, you work and you go to and it's, you know, some of the teachers in, in our culture are, you know, look out for number one. Right. You got to look out for number one. Some of, the, some of the culture that teaches us is, you know, this is a cutthroat. You know, you need to be more cutthroat in your career. Some of the culture teachers say things like this. If it feels right, if it feels right, it must be right. This is what the culture, the culture is look, look for self. The culture is be a better version of you. The culture says modify this and change that and you'll be happier. The culture, you know what the culture is teaching? The culture is teaching, especially our young people, the culture is teaching you need to compare yourself to that person. You need to, and, 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 and social media, man, we, we struggle with this. I, I do, you do. We look at, remember, you, you go on social media and you see everybody's highlight reels, which is what social media is. Like you see everybody's highlight reels and you go and you like, and then you turn to your spouse and say, why can't we have that like they do? 
Why can't we go on that trip? Why can't I find the time to do that? Why can't you, we, you know, and so we compare. This is what culture is teaching us. And, and, and Jesus' message was so radically different. Jesus' message, Jesus' teachings were so radically different. And you know what's so cool about this? And you, and you gotta be a Bible dork to, to read into this stuff. But Rabbani was like a term of endearment. It was a term of endearment, which was, which was Mary for Mary. You know what she was saying? She was saying, my teacher, my teacher. Don't you have, maybe some of you in school, but some of you went to school you know, at some point in your life. Don't you remember having a favorite teacher? Don't you have, you know, you, there was a lot of teachers in the, in the school, but you had your favorite teacher. And you remember that teacher even to this day. You think back about your school days and you think about that teacher. This is the, what Mary said. Mary's like, this is my teacher. This is, this is personal for me. It was a term of endearment. It was real personal for her. And Jesus says, I want, I want to be your personal teacher. Because there's a world full of teachings that will distract you and will get you sidetracked from what your teacher, Jesus, wants to teach to you. You know what Jesus' teachings were? Here's what he said. Look at it says. Happy are, look at he says, happy are the humble, the pure in heart, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, those who seek out righteousness and are even persecuted for it. Jesus has turned cultural teachings up on its head. Jesus came with a different message, even today, a different message. Even today, Jesus' message and Jesus' teachings are counter-cultural. And what Jesus is saying, you know how you can really be happy? You be humble. You know how you can really be happy? Be pure in heart. Guard your heart. You know how you can really be happy? Be meek, be merciful, be a peacemaker, pursue righteousness, and even be okay if you're persecuted for it. This is radically different. But if you do it, if you do it, it will be life-changing. If you can be humble, if you can be pure in heart, if you can be meek, if you can be merciful, if you can be a peacemaker, if you're pursuing living rightly in the eyes of God, it will change your life. But you can't do it this way. You can't just be a hearer of it. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Jesus gave his teachings not just to be heard. Not just to be heard. Jesus gave his teachings to be applied. Jesus said, don't just show up on a Sunday morning and you know, hear a message about how his, my teachings are countercultural to what the world teaches. Don't, don't just do that. Don't just walk out of there thinking that that's just going to stick and that's just going to stay and, and you're going to be all good. No, 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 no. It, this has to be applied. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave this analogy. He says, those who hear my words, those who hear my words and do them, those who hear my teachings and do them, they will be like a house planted on a firm, solid rock. And then he goes this. 
and then when the winds come and the rain comes, the house will stand. But then he, he said it this way, but those who hear my words and don't do them, they will be like a house planted on sand. You've heard this before, right? You sung the song before in Sunday school. He says, you're, you're gonna, your house is going to be like planted on sand. And so when the wind comes and the rain comes, in other words, when the storms of life come, you will not stand. And it will be, here's the way that he described it, it will be a great fall for you. So the way that you can plant your life the way that you can build your life should be on the foundation of the rock of Jesus. And then when the storms of life come, because on both scenarios, you know what happened? There was a storm. In any scenario, in any circumstance, there's a storm. There's a storm that's going to come. And so when the storm comes in your life, and maybe it already has for you, maybe it already has. And maybe it's some, something still coming, or maybe you're, you're in the midst of one now. Jesus says, I want you to hear my words and I want you to do them because when storms come, you're gonna stand firm. You're gonna stand firm. And when Jesus got done teaching that parable, you know, Matthew records it in this way in verse 28. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Jesus came and said, listen, these are what I teach. This is what I say to you with all the authority given to me in heaven and now on earth. You need to listen to my teachings. You need to make Jesus your teacher. Don't listen to the teachings of anything else in this world other than the lis listening to the teachings of Jesus because that's when life change happen he has remember he has all the authority make him make him your personal teacher today make him your personal teacher one final one quickly verse 17 remember Jesus said to her stop clinging to me for I have not yet ascended to the father but go to my brethren and say to them I ascend to my father I'm going I'm going after 40 days, I send to my father and your father and my God and your God. Now, you're like, what does this mean? Here's what this means. This is, the, the, Jesus is, what he was saying was this, is that shortly, in a short period of time, in a short period of time, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna send. But I'm gonna be, I'm not gonna stop being there for you because I'm gonna stand with you in your concerns. Remember that? I'm gonna stand with you in your concerns. I want you to seek me because I'm a gardener and I wanna produce something in your life that you couldn't produce on your own. I want you to learn from me. I want you to apply my teachings to your life because that's what will change your life forever. But when I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna send and I'm gonna be with my Father in heaven. And you know what he is for you today? You know what he is for you today? I hope that you are checking in right now. You know what? He is your advocate. He's your advocate. And here's what, here's what John meant by that. First John 2, 1, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So he goes, I just want you to get this out of the way. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. 
But you're going to think, and John would say, I wrote that first. I put that first because of what I'm going to say next. See, look what he says. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You know what he's doing right now for you? He's advocating for you right this moment. You may struggle with some sort of sin issue. We all sin. We all struggle. We all have our battles. We all have our shortcomings. Listen, listen, listen. You know what he's doing for you right now? He's advocating for you. He's on the throne, the right hand of the Father, and he's saying to the the accuser, by the way, which is what the devil means. The devil means accuser. The devil is, you know, just like Job, you know, when the devil came to the throne of God and, and, and the devil said to God, God, have you seen Job? And he's only honoring you because you've blessed him. And God says, even if I take everything away from him, he'll still honor me. He'll still stand. But the accuser, and you know this, the accuser is still working, isn't he? He's still accusing you. He's still making you feel bad about your choices. He's still making you feel shameful about your sin choices. And you feel guilty and you carry that guilt around. And what Jesus is saying to you today is this. I'm your advocate. I'm your defense. I'm your defense attorney. And whatever sin that you committed, I paid for that. Whatever choice that you made, I paid that debt. How matter far you walked away, I counted the cost of that and I laid myself down for you. And so when the devil comes in and wants to accuse you of not being and living up to the certain standards of life, John would say, well stop sinning, but you need to know if you do sin, you have an advocate on your side. You have somebody always with you, defending you, no matter what. No matter what. And when the devil goes, you shouldn't have done that, Jesus would say, I paid for that. And when the devil goes, you are a failure, Jesus would say, I paid for that. When the devil says, you aren't good enough, the, the Jesus would say, I paid for them to be good enough. When the devil says, you know, you don't have what it takes, you're not as good as anybody else, Jesus is saying, they're mine. They're mine. And they have all the value in the world because they're mine. He's your advocate. He's your advocate. Paul wrote it this way in Romans 8:34. Who is the one who condemns? Well, the enemy, he's the one who condemns. Christ Jesus, he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. He is interceding for you. I hope, I hope that you're encouraged by that. So the question that I have for you before I let you go is this. Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking self you for the answers somebody else a significant other 
a relationship. You're seeking somebody else to try to give you the happiness, that joy. That you Listen, listen. Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm the gardener. I want to produce something in you. I'm the teacher. I want, to, I want to change your life forever. And I'm your advocate. You shouldn't seek anyone else. So here's my challenge. Here's my challenge. Not 40 days. How about just a day? One day. One day. You started seeking and seeing the gardener in your life. What about for one day, one day, one day, you started pursuing and seeking after and, and living according to the teachings of Jesus. And you started taking those teachings and trying to apply them into your relationships with your finances and your career. What if you just took those teachings and you applied them and you made him your personal teacher? just one day and what if you viewed your life just for one day and saw that there's a Jesus who's still alive and is sitting at the right hand of the Father who is advocating for you what would that do what would that do I'm telling you here's what that would do just for one day here's what that would do it would radically change your life I promise you you saw the gardener, you saw him as teacher, and you saw him as your advocate. Mary, it changed her life forever. He's standing with you in your concerns. He's with you, and that's who he is. Father, you sent your son because you loved us. And what he did for us, he died, was buried, he rose and was seen. And what Mary saw that day was a gardener who was willing to pull out and uproot old things, old habits, old concerns, worry, fear, anxiety, shame, guilt, was, was willing to uproot all of that and to produce something inside of her and to produce something inside of us that will bear fruit for eternity. I pray that we make you our gardener of our life. And even in the crud, that you use to help grow us and even in the times where you have to prune things in our life we just know that it's for our good and it's for our growth and our trust in you because you're always for us I pray God that we heed to your teachings the way that you taught and, the, and how you taught and what you taught more importantly that we take those teachings and we apply them because it's not just about hearing them it's about doing them it's not just about showing up and thinking that they're going to settle in, but it's about applying them and doing them in our life. That's what will bring change, that make you our personal, personal teacher. And that we see you as an advocate for us, always defending against the accuser, always willing to stand in our place and to defend us even when we fall short. You still intercede for us. You still pray for us. You are still shepherding us. You are our advocate. You are the one who is always, always, always for us. We thank you for that. I, I pray that that's for just a day, for just a day, that's what we seek after. That's whom we're seeking for just 
a day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you back next Sunday.